Dan, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing on my Switch. Nice. And so I thought today I'd treat you with a fact about Nintendo. Oh, nice. A Japan okay, so fact. Do you know when... <laughs> well, it's not really a Japan <laughs> fact. Um, do you know when Nintendo was formed? I want to say in the 80s, but I have a feeling it might be before then. Well, you're right with the 80s, but you're wrong with the 1980s. It was actually formed in 1889. Really? Yeah. First of all, uh, Nintendo started making playing cards. They were just making playing cards. And then they went on to making like toys, like board games. Um, and then they started owning hotels in the 1960s. And then in the 1970s, they started making video yeah. games. Are they like a full-on Zaibatsu then? What the, what's that? Like uh, when like the big like uh, Japanese companies, they're like I think they're like old like they they're tied to like old samurais, old samurai clans. My guess would be yes, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> I know that they were way older than I thought they were, so I thought that would be a nice fact. So yes, you can treat your friends to that fact that they were established in eighteen eighty nine, twenty third of September, eighteen eighty nine. That's a good fact. I like it. I had a subsidiary fact that just popped in my head, but then now it's gone because I haven't eaten any food today and my brain's not working. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out. Maybe next time. <laughs> Maybe next time. Anyway, welcome, people who are listening. How are you, Katie? I am fine. I am. It's Friday, which is always a good shout. Tomorrow. We are meeting up with some friends to play some board games for my birthday, which is actually like in like a week. Um, and yeah, that's all all well and groovy. What about you? How are you? Yeah, not bad. Um, yeah, as I said, I haven't eaten anything today. <laughs> I went out yesterday <laughs> and got drunk and now I'm hungover. Hungover and hungry. That's how I am. <laughs> it's been a busy morning. I just haven't got around to doing anything. <laughs> You went on a Thursday club. Wow. <laughs> Thursday's a new Friday. I mean, Thursday was always the new Friday. All yeah. the way back from, like, uni, Thursday <laughs> was the new Friday. Unfortunately, I had a lecture on a Friday in my third year in the morning, which was the absolute worst. Oh, man. But I guess yeah. if it's just a lecture, you just have to sit there and do nothing. It's fine. No, it was, like, one of those ones that was, like, a seminar. Oh, two hours of, like, roundtable discussion. Not good. Not good. Not good at all. <laughs> but hey, hey, I managed to get my way through that one. Um, Why don't you tell me about your thing? Okay, well, I'm doing a person again. Great. I'm just like, constantly going back to the original remit. I feel very unoriginal. <laughs> Uh, well, get your kepis out, because we're talking about a French general. Nice. This week. So have you ever heard of Henri Giraud? I don't think so, no. I had to bust out the French accent. I hope everyone <laughs> It was beautiful. So Henri Giraud was the, the basically the, uh, the man who kind of like challenged Charles de Gaulle for leadership of the Free French... Oh, okay, yes, then I kind of know a little bit, but... But he kind of both out. But he's an interesting guy. Like, as we'll see, it's like, it's a wild ride. That's why I picked him. Okay, so... let's do it. <laughs> so he was born on the 18th of January, 1879 in Paris, uh, though he was of Alsatian descent, not the dog, the area. <laughs> um, his father was a coal merchant, so he's not from the rich stock that you usually okay. uh, 
get from from these uh these high ranking generals. Uh, I haven't really been able to find out much about his childhood, but we know that he graduated from the Saint Cyr Special Military Academy in 1900. It's a good time to graduate. 1900. Good round, okay, yeah, good round number. I like it. <laughs> uh, after this, he joined a unit of, uh, I don't know how to say this properly, Zouaves, I think, Zouaves, uh, in North Africa. So these were a class of light infantry regiments that served the French army. Recruited from the Berber volunteers from the uh, Zouara group of tribes in Algeria. So basically like badass colonial troops. Okay. Uh on the outbreak of the First World War, he was transferred back to France with his unit. Uh, his service during this war didn't last too long. Not at first, anyway. Oh, no. So this time, Girard was a, a captain. Okay. During the Battle of St. Quentin uh, on the 30th of August 1914, a failed counterattack during the retreat to the Marne, uh, he led his troops in a bayonet charge on German positions. Now, had they reached the German lines, the Germans would have no doubt received a good kicking because Zwarz are badasses. But unfortunately, as we all know, bayonet charges do not go very well when faced with machine guns. The leading from the front, Gerard was severely wounded and left for dead on the field. Uh, oh, no. Overall, the counterattack was devastating on the French. 10,000 French soldiers were killed and 2,000 captured. Jeez. It's pretty bad. Uh, amongst the captured was Henry Girard himself. So he was shipped to a prison camp in Belgium. And so ended Girard's war. Or did it? Despite <laughs> his injuries and despite being locked in a camp deep in enemy territory, Girard decided he must escape. So around this time... So, so how many, like, how badly was he shot? Uh, well, he'd basically, like, walk with a limp for the rest of his life. So it was pretty Okay, was pretty so bad. pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. So, so around this time... Edith Cavill, a uh, British nurse, uh, had begun to set up uh, escape networks for wounded French and British prisoners. So the network was set up so the prisoners could reach um, neutral Netherlands. That's kind of like where the route ran to. Okay. So two months after his capture, Giraud broke out of the, uh, the uh, prison of war enclosure and worked his way towards the Netherlands by assuming an array of disguises. So during his travels, <laughs> he would become a travelling circus uh, rustabout. So that's like a like a tr- like a circus kind of labourer, a stable okay. boy, uh, like his father, a coal <laughs> salesman, uh, which is whatever the situation demanded, really. So basically, he was like real life Inspector Cluzo. Just taking on different, like, random, like... uh... Does he have a swimming pool? (laughs) So soon he managed to reach the Netherlands and he was evacuated to the United Kingdom. Uh, Then he was shipped back to France where he rejoined the uh, the Zouaves in France and continued to fight in the war. So he managed to make his way back to the front. It's pretty impressive. Limping along with his various disguises. I'm imagining, like, different moustaches he's taking on and off. (laughs) <laughs> As for Edith Cavill, Cavill, Edith Cavill, the uh, the nurse that um, managed to get him yep. out. Sadly, her network would be discovered not too long afterwards. As a result, she was arrested in August uh, 1915 after she'd helped about 200 Allied soldiers escape. For this, she was executed for treason. I'm not really yeah, sure. I've, I've... Sure, why treason though? She wasn't German. That's not treason. No, I've heard of her, and she's she's. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So after the war, uh, Giraud served with the French occupation troops in Istanbul. So he was uh, 
occupying the former uh, Ottoman Empire after their defeat. Uh, in 1920, he was transferred to Morocco, where he and his wives yeah, helped put down colonial rebellions like a bastard. He'd fight a number of these uh, colonial conflicts, uh, later being awarded the Legion uh, of Honor for the capture of, of rebel leader uh, Abd el-Krim in 1926. Uh, after this, he would teach uh, military strategy at the uh, Ecole de Guerre. I think that's how you pronounce it. My French is terrible. <laughs> uh, where one of his students was future rival, a young captain, Charles de Gaulle. Ah, okay. Here we go. The meet-up. <laughs> the the meet-cute, <laughs> as you'd call it in a rom-com. When World War II uh, broke out, Gerard was a member of the Superior War Council, so part of basically like the high command. So this time, there was an eternal debate going on in France about what the future of warfare would look like. So you had the younger generals, such as Charles de Gaulle, arguing that France needed to develop mechanised units for a more mobile type of warfare that was you know, inevitably going to come. As we know, he was yeah. right. That was exactly Yeah, of happened. course he's right. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, most of the high command were made up of ageing, old-fashioned World War I generals, which included Gerard himself. So he disagreed with Charles de Gaulle about the tactics of using armoured troops. So this was unfortunate since Gerard would end up commanding the largely mechanised 7th Army which is like basically like the cream of the crop uh, yeah. which would be it would end up being like pushed pushed into Belgium uh, to advance towards the Netherlands hope it, um, during the opening stage of the Battle of France as we all know uh, they ended up cut off in Dunkirk uh, that's not to say he fought a terrible battle. He was able to delay the German advance into the Low Countries at Breda on the 13th of May, but took heavy casualties in the process. So much so that his army had to be merged with the 9th Army. Uh, after this, things went from uh, from bad to worse. His, force, his forces were switched from facing the Germans in the Low Country to trying to stem the advance from the Ardennes, but the French were fighting a losing battle by now. On the 19th of May, at... Uh, Wasigny, 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 I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> the general made his way to a machine gun emplacement. Um, so he was kind of like, he was quite a good general. He was a kind of like a lead from the front general. He liked to like zip about and kind of like, uh, and uh, yeah, he had, uh, command his units um, in person. Unfortunately, to his, uh, to his misfortune, this machine gun emplacement came surrounded by Germans. Soon the unyielding emplacement was barraged by heavy German artillery. And the Germans asked the survivors for a surrender. They, in the end, acquiesced, and amongst the survivors was none other than General Giraud. So this left his army. Rising from the, <laughs> from the rubble. So uh, this left his army without commander. And here. Girard nearly met an early end. So during the fighting in the Low Countries, Girard had ordered the execution of two German saboteurs wearing civilian clothes. So basically spies. So this was entirely in his right to do. Of course, when you are the vanquished, it's up to the winners uh, to make the rules, really. So so he was court-martialed. However, he was, for some reason, uh, acquitted. So he was spared the firing squad. Okay, that's quite um, unusual. And so ends Gerard's war. Or does it? <laughs> oh no. Because Gerard is basically the French World War II Houdini. That is who <laughs> he is. So, 
General Gerard's escape uh, during World War I had not been forgotten by the Germans. Uh, due to his high rank, he was treated with respect, but nevertheless, they made uh, it a priority to put him in a high-security, escape-proof prison. So he was taken to Konigstein Castle near Dresden. So this uh, stood beside a 150-foot uh, high cliff. Every exit of the castle was guarded by double the troops, um, as a, like as a, as a as a normal camp, uh, with regular inspect- inspections inside. And if someone was missing, the Gestapo, Gestapo would be on it in a flash. On yet, it. <laughs> yet still, <laughs> General Gerard started to scheme for his escape upon arrival. So he was kind of like at sixty-one at this point, so not a young man wow. anymore. And he walks with wow, a limp. Wow, that is that is old and limpy and. <laughs> Wow. However, Gerard refused to give the Germans his word that he would not try to escape. So he, as good as told them, I am going to escape your prison. So, so that escape thing, I'm, I'm going to be trying that. <laughs> That's do it. So you better watch me. You better watch me good because you, you have no idea what's coming at you, Germans. And they're like, can you give us your word? And he's like, no, nope. absolutely not. <laughs> I'll tell you, like, I am trying to escape right now. Respect you might not have to elders. see it, but that's what's happening. <laughs> so he learned to speak German fluently while he was in this camp. I've been learning Japanese for what? three years and I am shit. And he's 61 I've been and he's learning mastered German it. <laughs> for like five years. And it's just ridiculous. Some of the rules are like just stupid. And the teacher one time was like, everyone was like, oh, is there an easy way of like learning this? And he was like, no, there's no <laughs> it's easy just, way. It's just hard work. <laughs> You just like, have to. Learn. At that point, I was like, "I'm not going to learn German, am I?" No, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he taught himself as well. This is the thing. Like, I guess when you're immersed in it, it is a lot. Yeah, that's true. Easier, surrounded like, by. German obviously, camp. I'm trying to learn German in England. Yeah. If I was sent to like a, you know, immersed in a German speaking only yeah. German, I would probably try my best. <laughs> I guess it's like he's housed with other French people, but yeah, he's got guards. I guess he could kind of yeah. talk to them. Um, yeah, I guess he learnt, like, yes and no, like, and move, and quicker. But, but like, the <laughs> level of his, like, German, as we'll find out, is just like, no, I, like, I hate him a bit. He's 61, he mastered, like, German like a, like a local. It's kind of crazy. Okay, hit me. So he also, uh, he memorised... <laughs> to the square yard and map of the surrounding area. So he's just got a crazy good memory. He even managed to get his buddies back in France to send him copper materials for a rope. Somehow he got this in. I don't know how he managed to get it. He told them he was going to escape and he's managed to smuggle in copper materials for a rope. So, on the morning of the 17th of April, 1942, after two years enjoying all that Stein Castle had to offer, Gerard was ready to make... <laughs> A break for it. So by this time, he had crafted a 150 foot, like a 46 meter rope out of twine, torn bed sheets, and the copper they somehow managed to smuggle, smuggle into the <laughs> into the camp. The illicit copper. <laughs> so looking down the 150 foot cliff, Gerard waited for the guard far below to leave the area. With the German off on his rounds, Gerard threw down the rope and started to abseil down the sheer cliff face. 61. And at this point, he's probably like 63. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's two, like two years, years later. <laughs> After his successful descent, he found cover, covered his conspicuous general's uniform, just with a raincoat. He put on a Tyrolean hat. I have one of these. Love it. Great hat. Little like... 
brimmed hat. It's brilliant. Sh- shaved off his trademark moustache. So he took a he took a razor with him. Basically, so yeah, could... yeah. Just so he could get that off while he's hiding in his little hiding space. <laughs> he then hopped on a train to uh, Shandau, where somehow there was a special operations executive uh, base. I don't know how they managed to set, set that up in Germany, but they did. Uh, a contact there provided him with a change of clothes, cash, and identity papers. And so we have the return of Cluso, the master of disguise, just <laughs> zipping through Germany on trains. So Joe. Ger- Hilarious. <laughs> so Gerard's plan was to ride continuously train after train within Germany, just riding the trains until escape, escape became old news, just until it just kind of like petered out and they just forgot about him. He possessed a fake, ident- uh, a fake ID, but the photograph was just like of another person who just didn't really look that much like him. So it just so basically is- like... This is the opposite of what Hitler did with his fake passport, which is a picture of himself and the name Adolf Hitler, even though it's a fake passport. (laughs) Really? How do you guys go away? I'm like, why bother? Just just use your your own own passport. It's rubbish. Because I think it was like a different country. Okay, then. Fake passport, but why bother? Like. Yeah, it's pointless. Oh, that Adolf Hitler. Oh no, that's not me. Yeah, I often get mistaken for that one. Yeah, like, so he had a fake one that just didn't look anything like him. So he just had to, like, try his best to avoid showing it. I mean, um, this is like me trying to get into a pub when yeah, I'm exactly, yeah, my, yeah, friend, just, uh, my friend Sarah's ID, who oh, had yeah. brown eyes and Your long friend's, hair. like, older, like, sister's ID. It's like, yeah, it's and they looked at it and they're like, it seems legit. Yeah. Um, so, okay, this is, right, here we're now, we kind of, like, uh, have, like, a testament to his language skills. So on one train... Gerard happened to be sitting across from a young German lieutenant who had served in the Africa Corps. The two managed to strike up an amiable conversation. So this German soldier thought he was just a German, an old German guy. Just German, old German guy. On a train. Hey, old man. So at this point, the Gestapo came uh, came around uh, asking for IDs. Uh, so they kind of asked for Gerard's ID as well as what he said. This ID that didn't look at anything like him. And the lieutenant, incensed, shouted, how dare you interrupt us, and ordered the Gestapo man to go away, totally saving his skin. So his language skills saved him in this nice. situation completely. That's how good just he was. Just be nice to people on trains, everyone. I know, that's just the key. Get away with anything. You can, you can escape the Gestapo by being decent to people on trains. That's the lesson here. <laughs> uh, at one train station, the Gestapo, uh, the Gestapo security was unusually tight, and... Uh, so they were kind of like thoroughly searching every single passenger. And so like, basically like um, Giraud kind of waited until the train began to pull out the station. Uh, so the, uh, so the authorities were on high alert for a tall French man with a distinctive limp. A briefcase in hand, holding his hat to his head. Giraud started running off towards the train without limping. So the pain was excruciating, but he was uh, not about to give himself away at this point. A Gestapo soldier was so fooled into thinking Girard was just simply an agitated businessman in a hurry that he helped him aboard the train. Close calls, baby. All over the place. Nice. Wow. Uh, so when... He's also like an old man. People don't want to believe that, like... Exactly. Just old like, men are, like, fooling them. <laughs> uh, so when Girard finally did reach France, he discovered that anyone above six feet uh, was being searched by the guards. They were obsessed with the six foot thing. Just anyone who was tall, basically, get him. Uh, yeah, my so boyfriend's he... just an inch under six foot, so he'd, he'd be, be happy. right. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be right. right. They measured him. <laughs> like, mm, seems legit. 
And so he boarded yet another train back to Germany. That was his his answer to this. He then switched to one heading towards Switzerland. Uh, but like, un- like uh, as you'd expect, the security on the carriages was tight. So at some point, when he kind of like got closer to the border with Switzerland, he decided to head off on a neglected trail through the woods, just on foot. Make it on foot, limp and all, all the way to Switzerland. Nice. So some like um like the von Trapp family. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so, so, so some way down the track, he suddenly found himself surrounded by bayonets. Feeling the worst, he turned to face his captors, but was relieved that they spoke, although German, in a Swiss dialect. He had made it to Switzerland. Yay! So the Germans were obviously furious to hear that the Swiss had taken him in, but their demands that he be returned over were refused. So finally, Giraud decided it was time to make his way back to France. So this time he did it by road. He threw off the German agents who were chasing him through the Swiss countryside. It's like an action film. Chase, uh, by changing cars several times. The trick worked. Giraud had successfully pulled off a second escape from the Germans. It's pretty so impressive. How is he... Like, did he make uh, contact with, like, a somebody in Switzerland? I think so, yeah. Because kind of he like needed, like, various clothes and money yeah. and stuff. Because it's kind of like a, like a fair kind of, like, French community in Switzerland. Because there's yeah, three yeah, dialects, like, yeah, like, German, Italian and French. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So he managed to make it back to France second time. A second escape. It's pretty impressive. Hopping trains. Um... So uh, when Giraud made it back to France, he sent himself his wife a telegram that read, business concluded, excellent health, affectionately, Henri. Which was an exact replica, word for word, of the telegram he sent his wife after his escape in 1914. Oh my god. I mean, come on, that is pretty cool. you got to give it to him. It's either cool or he has zero imagination. Yeah, it's probably that. Also, like, he has a wife and kids? Or... He does, yeah. Yeah, yeah this okay. kind of like comes into play later and it's pretty harsh. Um, so, unfortunately, things would get less cool for Gerard from this point onwards. So... Girard's escape was soon known all over France. Pierre Laval, so he was the uh, Prime Minister of Vichy France at this time, uh, tried to persuade him to return to Germany, but Bonnery was having none of it. While at first he pledged to remain loyal to Patin's Vichy regime, he outright refused to cooperate with the Germans. He tried to convince Marshal Patin that Germany would lose the war and that France must resist German occupation. However, his views were rejected by the Vichy government, uh... But yet they still refuse to return Giraud to the Germans. So that's kind of cool. Nothing else that they did is cool. So this uh, <laughs> this pissed off the Nazis. Uh, he'd already made a fool out of them by escaping their maximum security prison. And now he's telling the Nazi regime to fuck right off. So in retaliation, Heinrich Himmler ordered the Gestapo to try and assassinate him. When this failed, he had as many members of Giraud's family as he could find arrested and held hostage in order to discourage Giraud from cooperating with the Allies. Oh no, not the fam. Yeah, 17 members of Giraud's extended family were arrested. Um, I don't even have 17 members. Uh, Yeah, just about. Just about you could wrangle 17 members. It would take me a while to list them, but (laughs) I'm sure they exist. Um... So this did not have 
the desired effect. Ultimately, regardless of his promises to Pétain, Giraud was counting down the days until France would be in a position to overthrow the occupying Germans. And when the Yanks joined the fray, Giraud was convinced that the time had come. And so, uh, he, Giraud was secretly contacted by the Allies in the lead-up to Operation Torch, the Allied invasion of French North Africa. Uh, and the Allies gave, gave him the codename Kingpin. It's pretty cool. Um, so now, Giraud proved to be a bit of a difficult customer. So he agreed to support the attack uh, on the French colonies on two conditions. First, only American troops were to be used. Uh, like like many other French officers, he was going to be like bitterly resentful of the British um, after the attack on the French fleet at... Um, oh, I can't remember what the, the port's called now. Beer... Never mind. So basically, like the the British like fleet had destroyed, the British had like, destroyed the French fleet after their defeat. Um, to the Germans, like they kind of like worried that the the French fleet falling into German hands would just basically um, mean yeah. like the end of Britain. So they just like destroyed the French fleet in like uh, North Africa. So I mean, like quite rightly, a lot of French military men were pretty pissed off about that. Uh, Second, uh, his second demand was that he or another French officer would be in command of the entire operation. He considered this letter condition essential to maintaining French sovereignty and authority over the Arab and Berber natives in uh, North Africa. So basically, it was like typical colonial thinking. I mean, like he was a colonial officer originally, after all. So it's not surprising. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he didn't get his wish. At this point, the Americans weren't... Um, Experienced and so a sizable contingent of British troops were used in the landing, albeit in in American uniform. Kind of like landed in American uniform and then changed back into British pretty quickly. Um, the Allied High Command also wouldn't agree to his demand to command the operation. Rather, the Americans only promised that Giraud would be in command within a, a, a very vague, like as soon as possible. Uh, in the end, he did have to give in. On the 5th of November, he and his two sons were picked up near Toulon, uh, Toulon and taken to meet Eisenhower and Gibraltar. His sons to protect them from the Gestapo, um, but not his daughter. This is important for later. Oh um, no, not the daughter. Um, ultimately, he arrived on the 7th of November, but only a few hours before the landing. So, like, no time at all to take control. Like, it just showed, like, the Americans had no... Uh, intention of like, intention. Putting, him, uh, putting him in, in charge uh, this was kind of Gerard's fault like, he'd been demand- he'd been pretty demanding since the beginning which has slowed his participation and he continued to be difficult at Allies headquarters Eisenhower asked him to assume command of French troops in North Africa during the landings in order to persuade them to join the Allies um, which was like, basically the point of it that's why they, they got him involved but he uh, adamantly refused until he received his demanded position as head of the whole operation something he was never going to get so at this point he point back refused to participate on any other basis saying his honour would be tarnished and that he would only be a spectator in the affair after this point the, uh, the Allies had um, a perfectly good general who was popular amongst the free French um, who would have happily taken his position in Charles de Gaulle. Yet the Yanks weirdly had their hearts set on Giraud, although Churchill and the British um, kind of... It's a kind of like a difficult one. Like The, the British kind of supported good de, uh, de Gaulle because they kind of realised that he was 
popular. They kind of hedged their bets. So they kind of like supported both. But I think they yeah. kind of like knew that De Gaulle was the more popular one and he would be the one who ended up ruling, like running France after the war. So they, war, so they kind of like wanted to remain in his good books, even though he was very difficult. Um, so yeah, there was this weird kind of like ongoing debate. Like the Americans hated Charles de Gaulle. They, they, they thought he was like a dictator. And also they kind of like had very weird ideas um, as to like what was to like happen like with France, but we'll get into that in a bit. That's going to come up. Um, anyway, by the next morning, Giraud relented. Still, he refused to leave immediately for Algiers, but rather stayed in Gibraltar until the 9th of November. So he was just like kicking his heels. Uh, when asked why he did not want to go to Algiers uh, straight away, he said, You may have seen something of the large de Gaulleist demonstration that was held here last Sunday. Some of the demonstrators sang Marseille. I entirely approve of that. Others sang Chant du, du Depart, a military ballad. Quite satisfactory. Others shouted, Vive, le, uh, Vive de Gaulle. No objection, but some of them cried, death to Gerard. I do not approve of that at all. Um, <laughs> after all, Gerard had, for a time, uh, placidly tolerated the Vichy regime, while Charles had fought it from the beginning. Gerard has even criticised de Gaulle for taking the fight to Britain, yet he had eventually turned on the Vichy regime, meaning both sides kind of hated him. Because that's the thing, it's like he was brought in... because because the Americans thought that he would be able to like act as like a bridge between the two. But because he'd gone over to the Allies and now the Vichy regime hated him, and because he'd kind of like wavered, lots of like the hardcore free French didn't really like him. So he was kind of like this awful kind of um, compromise pick. Um, so when he did finally fly in, his attempts to assume command of the French forces were rebuffed because the Vichy French did like him. Uh, his broadcast <laughs> directing French troops to cease resistance and join the Allies was completely ignored. There were some pro-Allied uh, elements in Algiers and they had agreed to support the other landing uh, already. And in fact, they, they seized Algiers on the night of the uh, 7th of November. The city was then occupied by our troops uh, without resistance. But these were Gaulist troops, so they would they'd already picked their side. Meanwhile, resistance continued in Oran and Casablanca um, against troops that were still loyal to Vichy. Um, also, weirdly, by some freak accident, Admiral Francois Darlan, who was like the second in command of the whole Vichy regime, happened to be in Algiers at the time visiting his son, who I think had been wounded in some way, was sick. Um, so Girard quickly realised that um, it was the Admiral, the British-hating Admiral Dallin, who had the real authority over the remaining Vichy-aligned French forces. So he was kind of like powerless to um, to fill his role. And so instead, the Allies struck a deal with Dallin on the 10th of November. And it was Dallin that ordered French forces to cease fire and join the Allies. So Girard had hoped to lead Free France in its entirety but instead had to settle for commander of all French forces under Dalarm. Dalarm, meanwhile, was recognised a high commissioner of French North Africa and West Africa and de facto leader of Allied-aligned France. Weirdly, de Gaulle was kept out of all negotiations by a distrustful Roosevelt. Fortune would change for Giraud again on the 24th of December 1942 when Dalarm was assassinated in mysterious circumstances. 
So on that mm. afternoon, the Admiral drove to his offices in uh, Palais d'Etat and was shot down at the door of his bureau by a young man of 20, Bonnier de la Chapelle, a monarchist. Um, it's weird that monarchists still existed at this time. Like, Republican France had existed for, like... A long time. Yeah, a really long time. Um, so the young man was tried by court-martial under Gerard's orders, despite it benefiting him. And executed on the 26th. So what followed was a period of kind of confusing politicking. Um, so basically Gerard and de Gaulle were both gunning for the top spot. And while Gerard had American backing, de Gaulle had well, kind of had the British. Uh, de Gaulle was also far more savvy, a far more savvy political operator. And, and had that greater backing of the, uh, the the French National Liberation Committee. I think it's called that. Um <laughs> So eventually, Henry Gerard and Charles de Gaulle became co-presidents of the French uh, of the of the committee. Um, it was decided that Gerard would mainly take over the military responsibilities, being the more experienced general, uh, while de Gaulle would take on the more political position, since he had planned a political career after the war. However, despite this decision, ultimately their decisions on the future of France were supposed to be joint. Uh, and despite the fright, fake smiles, Charles de Gaulle was not really down with that. Um, <laughs> neither was Gerard, actually. Um, but still, they took part in the uh, Casablanca conference together. All smiles, shaking hands. There's a very famous picture of them like shaking hands at that um, at that conference, having decided to co-run France, Free France. Um, so de Gaulle was able to consolidate his political position at Gerard's expense because he was more up to date with the political situation in Allied command. Gerard instead went to the US in July on a completely useless trip. Well, de Gaulle gained strength where the action was. To make matters worse, Gerard made a fool of himself in Detroit where, uh, with a speech praising Nazi achievements in Germany, making him look like a sympathiser compared to the great resistor de Gaulle. Um... De Gaulle also enjoyed a substantial support base in metropolitan France. De Gaulle's base of support included every major party, trade union and resistance organisation in France. In contrast, General uh, Giraud struggled to establish any kind of broad-based coalition. Mm. He kind of like drew his stronger support from uh, his fellow generals and senior officers in the army, but this once powerful group had lost basically like all influence amongst like the free French anyway after France's military collapse in the in 1940. Um, the ambiguous stance of General Giraud towards uh, the the Vichy government also caused Giraud to be labelled a compromise candidate. To add to this, it also been voted into his position by former Vichy officers, so his status was pretty pretty tainted by that too. Um, Although outspoken in his opposition to the Axis powers, Giraud also recognised no need to challenge the legal order imposed by the Vichy government, even though it had incarcerated thousands of Jews in concentration camps with the passage of its anti-Semitic laws. Um, of course, de Gaulle had been an outspoken critic of Vichy since the beginning. Yeah. It was so it was so bad. Like when when tasked when he was given like the co um, presidency, when tasked with dismantling Vichy's uh, legal system in North Africa, Gerard uh, proceeded with such a lack of urgency uh, that it just really irritated the British. So this included like the racist and anti-Semitic laws passed by Vichy. Like he was just like completely dragging his heels. Um, 
He also agreed with America that France would just be a military objective for now and that the French people would not be able to exercise their sovereign rights until the war was over. So in essence, France would be occupied by the Allies until the uh, until the war was over, something like de Gaulle would like never have. So this sort of stuff like lost him the support of the French Committee uh, of National Liberation. Ultimately, the only powerful ally he had was the Americans. And to be fair, they were pretty powerful. Um, but it turned out they couldn't even hold on to that. So he started acting unilaterally, uh, uh, like uh, pretty soon after this. So following the resistance uprising in Corsica on the 11th of September 1943, Giraud sent an expedition, including two French destroyers, to help the resistance movement without informing the committee. So this drew more criticism from de Gaulle and pissed off the Americans. And with their support waning, he lost the co-presidency in November 1943. Um... When the committee later found out that Giraud was maintaining his own intelligence network, the French committee forced him from his post as commander-in-chief of the French forces. So, like, he'd lost his like, all his power by now. I mean, like, the Americans kind of, like, feared de Gaulle's... Uh, like, feared that de Gaulle had dictatorial traits, but when Giraud was actually, uh, like, displaying these, uh, his position became pretty untenable. After this, he refused uh, to accept a post as uh, Inspector General of the Army and chose to retire after 40 years' service. Uh, now, remember I mentioned his daughter earlier. The one yeah, I was wondering d- when we were going to circle back to that. <laughs> the one he didn't rescue. So, on the 10th of March 1944, he received a telegram from Winston Churchill offering sympathy for the death of his daughter who had been captured in Tunisia and carried off into Germany with her four children. His daughter <sighs> had been one of the hostages the Germans had taken. So they died in a concentration camp in 1944. Oh my so god. His bi- Why didn't he, she go with them? I don't know. That's the weird thing. they couldn't take her children or something? Possibly. But his bid for power had cost his family dear. And even though he like he never won the, like, the presidency, he never won the power. But he managed to lose a daughter in the uh, in the process. Yeah, it's pretty savage. On the uh, grim. 28th really of- grim. On the 28th of August, 1944, he survived an assassination attempt in Algeria and overhang for his uh, his collusion with the uh, Vichy regime, no doubt. After the war, he was elected to the Constituent Assembly as a representative of the Republican Party of Liberty and helped create the Constitution of the Fourth Republic. So he did have some res- like uh, influence on the future yeah. of France. Uh, he remembered a me- member of the War Council and was, of course, decorated for his escapes because they are the coolest part about him. Yeah, they were pretty cool, but, I mean, he didn't save his daughter, so... No, I know, yeah, a bit of an ass. Yeah. Uh, he published two books, My Escapes in 1946 and A Single Goal Victory, Algiers, 1942 to 1944, uh, in 1949, about his experiences. I need to read those books. I have managed to, like, kind of, like resources are like based on these books but um i haven't managed to get hold of them because they're out of print and really expensive anyway you can come to the british library yes that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> so Henri Girard died in dijon france on the 11th of march 1949 and there we have oh, it so yeah quite the, soon after the war yeah then. the tragic badass houdini of world war ii france Henri Girard. I do like an escape story. It reminded me a little bit of George Blake's escape story from yeah. Wild Scrubs, where he literally just climbed over the wall. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> also, um, Winston Churchill's escape. He escaped from a camp, I can't remember, which 
that's one of the you know prisoner of war camps the story is is really cool and he printed it at that time he was working as like a war correspondent oh so he kind of like published it afterwards yeah so it was published up his own story (laughs) in one of the the newspapers um one of like the oldie timey ones you know illustrated press or something one of those like oldie time ones and there's a in the churchill war rooms there's an account of it there but i'm oh, sure yeah. if you google like winston churchill world war one escape story you'll I'm find to it check this out but it is pretty cool and badass i remember one line where he's like he like he had some chocolate and he was like during this time chocolate is not a good thing to eat like <laughs> <laughs> because it, it you need sustenance and it's like not <laughs> gonna do empty, that empty calories yeah. i'm gonna check this out i do love an escape story a wartime <laughs> escape story <laughs> <laughs> um so what are you doing this evening oh, okay this e- i'm nothing nothing much actually yeah after being i'm hung over now i don't need to add to it i don't need to yeah. i don't need to be hung over tomorrow as well <laughs> I'm going to go for a run. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be healthy and go for a run. How about you? I am feeling quite tired. Didn't sleep very good yesterday. So I'm going to chill out. I'm going to watch Love Island as per. And Lovely. Yeah, kind of clear up a bit in preparation for company, polite company tomorrow. <laughs> I've been listening to, uh, you know, I've been on a Jane Austen audiobook oh, yes. binge. So I've gotten to the point where I've now listened to ones I hadn't listened to. So now I've gone back and I'm listening to Sense of Sensibility, which I'd already read, but you know, I haven't listened to the dramatized version, so probably like bum around listen to some of that. Yeah, because I've done my, I have got swimming booked, but I'm not 100% sure I'm gonna go, depending on how awake I'm feeling. I'm just gonna watch people do sports. I'm still going. I'm still heavily consuming the Olympics. I'm gonna be really bummed when it ends. I have nothing to. I watch. haven't watched any of it. Not single thing. you? I love it. I'm not this year. I'm not into it. I feel a bit like I don't know mm, <laughs> <laughs> mm, about it. Like if it's on, it was just there. Unfortunately, the only thing that I really wanted to watch was like the hundred meter final. Oh yeah, but we somehow managed to miss it. We thought it was like <laughs> Sunday. I don't know, and I was like, ah, eh, I'm over it now. Like if I can't watch that, and he didn't even break Usain Bolt's record. No, so I was, was like, going to well, do that for a while. I'll just watch. I'll just watch like replays of Usain Bolt's hundred meters. There's so many cool new sports though. There's like skateboarding, like climbing. I love that stuff. I like um, synchronized swimming. They call it like artistic swimming now. Yeah, don't they? but um. I quite like that because it's it's just silly. Yeah, it's quite silly. <laughs> but it's not like, so nice silly. It's not clips. like dressage, which is just stupid. <laughs> like a countdown dressage. Also, that surely that medal should go to the horse, not the rider. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the horse that's yeah. doing like all of the work. <laughs> Today, I, I just like don't, I just. Drink- don't like it when people like dress up their animals. Yeah. You know when people put like dogs in like costumes. Yeah. I can't understand that. Like, I'm like, your dog doesn't. It has fur. It doesn't. Yeah, need it doesn't need more clothes. It's probably really hot under that. <laughs> Though when when they're dressed up as like Batman, that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's the one exception. <laughs> there was like a horse today in the uh, one day pentathlon, which is having none of it. Like, she, it yes, was just no, horse. no jumping. No, but I love that horse. Not doing it. Not doing it today. <laughs> fair, fair enough, horse. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm actually having a bit of a bad day, and I 
want to go and horse around. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. <That's right. laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> um, go. Okay, well, uh, if you're listening to this and you've got this far, please do subscribe wherever you are listening. That's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Podbean, wherever you are listening. And share it with your friends and give us a little review if you'd like to. If you're able, five stars will really help us out with the algorithm. It really would. And also follow us on the show's social medias at Have You Ever Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And join us next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>